Strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. This is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Welcome to Concerned Women Today. I'm the president and CEO of Concerned Women for America, Penny Nance. And joining me today on our podcast is an amazing woman. And the timing on this is perfect because we are leading up to the oral arguments for the Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health case, which is the case that's taking head on Roe v. Wade from 1973, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but our guest today is Dr. Christina Francis, and she is, Dr. Francis is a board-certified OBGYN, and she is the chairman of the board of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Welcome to the show, Dr. Francis. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, your timing is perfect. As we're getting ready to, to be, I'll be outside the Supreme Court with a bunch of other pro-life leaders and the Attorney General of Mississippi, Lynn Fitch, tomorrow. And we will be, you know, talking about the issue of Roe v. Wade. So I would love it if you would go, go back in time with me to 1973. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about how technology has changed, what the um, concept of fetal development was way back in 1973, and where we are today. I mean, we just have so many more tools and so much better information, right? Absolutely. You know, I think I, one of the things that excites me most about the pro-life movement and the pro-life position is that science is on our side and science backs up our position. And you're exactly right. The science has expanded so much in the last 50 years. You know, in 1973, when, when Roe v. Wade was decided, ultrasound had just kind of started to come into use in the field of obstetrics. But I can tell you, I used to practice in Kenya. And when I first arrived at the mission hospital there, I think we had one of the original ultrasound machines at that hospital. They were big, they were clunky. The image was very poor. Um, So, you know, you could see that the baby was there. You could see the heartbeat when a woman was, you know, much farther along than we can now. We really couldn't see much detail. And even though biologists knew in 1973 that life begins at the moment of fertilization, Uh, You know, I think it wasn't as well known in the general public. It certainly was known within the medical profession, but I think it wasn't as well known in the general public. But in the last 50 years, like you said, medical science has increased significantly to the point where we can now see babies, you know, as early as about four weeks or so along of pregnancy, which is actually when they're only two weeks old, you know, and now we can see their hearts beating as early as about six weeks gestation. And we can see so much detail, even early in the pregnancy, we can evaluate, you know, their spinal column, we can evaluate their brain, things like that. So, so much more than we could before. And I don't think that there's any doubt from anyone who sees, you know, any woman who's listening to this, who's Mm -hmm. been pregnant, who's seen an ultrasound, you know, of her child while she was pregnant, there's no doubt that that's a living human being. And, um, and so it really is time that the science, or I'm sorry, that the law now catches up with where medical science has us. You know, we know um, based on studying fetal development now that even at those very early gestational ages, babies are already moving, they're sucking their thumbs, they're, you know, developing their own personality already. They can start to feel pain even before the, the second trimester. 
Um, and those are things that we just didn't know in 1973. So, well, so um, and there's a a lot in that. So I agree with you. You know, the early sonogram. So 1973. I mean, I was just a little teeny teeny little girl, and uh, and so at my understanding is the sonogram wasn't really broadly in use for most doctors. And the right. earliest one I saw was uh, Dr. Bernard Nathanson did something called the silent scream. He did a movie mm -hmm. using a sonogram of an abortion. And so I saw that uh, probably in the eighties. That's the first time I'd ever seen, and may have been, may have been mid eighties, even first time I had ever seen a sonogram. I had no idea. And even then it was very grainy. It was mm -hmm. difficult to see. There was enough that you you knew what you were looking at. You could see a heartbeat, but certainly nothing like we have now. Right. Um, and so now we've got all this information, right? And we know, I would love for you to hit, talk about some of the milestones. Talk about, so the baby, take us through fetal development a little bit. So the baby, the, the egg is fertilized by the sperm and then it's attached to the uterus. And then what happens? Right, exactly. So yes, and I think it's a great time to point out to your listeners that there is no such thing as a fertilized egg. Um, at the moment of sperm and egg fusion, uh, a zygote comes into existence, a human zygote, that's a full human being. So um, yeah, and then about day five to seven, that, that uh, zygote implants into uh, the woman's uterine lining, and then begins this just rapid progression of development, which is really amazing. And it's self-directed. Pause right there. Yeah. At that point of fertilization, when there's a human zygote, mm -hmm. when, do, when do we get our DNA? <laughs> it's at, like, that, yeah, right? That's, that's a great it. question. That's right. At that exact moment. That's all, so we, that's all that we're going to ever have is right that's then. That's right. That's right. At that moment that we all came into existence, we had everything that we needed to become the fully developed human beings that we were one day going to be. Nothing else has to be added after that moment, which is why we know that we can pinpoint the beginning of life to that moment, um, because that is the moment that we all share exactly in common when life. we inherit our DNA. Exactly. Spark of exactly. Life the, and, and the moment the sperm unites with the egg, a human yeah. zygote is formed. The spark yeah. of life has happened. All That's of our right. DNA is present. It attaches to the uterine wall usually. Sometimes it doesn't, but usually it does. Right. And it's right. rapid, rapid changes begin. Yeah, absolutely. So those changes again are self-directed coming from that coming from that embryonic human being. So nobody's telling that human being how to develop. It's it's coming from within. Um, and in this just amazing progression of development starts. So, you know, you start getting rapid multiplication of the cells that occur so that the baby begins to grow. Um, and then you start developing kind of generalized systems. So you start developing a nervous system and you start developing a circulatory what is that? system. Is that, I think so much, I think I read three weeks is when mm -hmm. the nervous system develops. Yeah, exactly. So it's starting to develop at about three weeks. Same thing with the circulatory system. You start getting a detectable heartbeat um, at about three to four weeks. And um, yeah, and then from there, again, just growth is continuing to happen. By the end of the first trimester, all of the baby's organs are formed, which is amazing that everything has, has developed at that point from beyond the first trimester. Then what happens is those organs just continue to grow and mature, but all of the organs are present and formed by the end of the first trimester which is really, you know, when we talk about this Mississippi case, the Dobbs case, we're talking about 
banning abortions at 15 weeks or beyond, we're basically talking about the second trimester. The first trimester is considered beyond. 12 weeks, which by the way, I, I have a, I think the whole system is flawed clearly, but you know, that's how the Supreme Court set it up. So first trimester is what you're talking about. 12 weeks from 12 weeks on the baby already has everything that she is ever going to have. Right. And just gets bigger and right. starts to grow. And they're talking 15 weeks which is right. well into the second trimester, which to me seems like such a low bar, right? Right, right. So actually the first trimester goes through 14 weeks. So, you okay. know, the, but it, so the 15 week mark, yeah, we're into the second trimester. Um, there is no, you know, I think it's important to point out too, there's no medical reason why an abortion, which is the intentional ending of that developing human being, there's no medical reason why an abortion would need to be done actually any time in pregnancy, but specifically at 15 weeks and beyond, there's just simply not a reason why we have to intentionally end that um, fetal human being's life in order not even to save the life of the mother. There are times that we have to separate mom and baby in order to save the life of the mother. And those are rare, thankfully. Pregnancy, like any of those things would have already occurred, right? Earlier in pregnancy. When does normally, when do we detect an ectopic? Pregnancy. Sure. So an ectopic pregnancy, you definitely detect in the first trimester. Um, but there are other circumstances that occur in the second and even third trimester where the mother's life is in danger that requires ending her pregnancy. So separating mom and baby prematurely. Of course, if that happens after the point where the baby can survive outside of mom, then there's no question, right? You just deliver the baby, you take care of mommy, you take care of baby. In the rare circumstance where that happens in the second trimester, which there are conditions like an infection in the uterus um, or some other things like a placental abruption, things like that, that might necessitate delivering her early. However, the intent of that is not to end the life of that child. The intent is to save the mother's life. And so you can separate them with an early delivery in a way that respects the dignity of both of them. Um, Again, in those rare circumstances where you really truly have no other option. But this law allows even for that to happen. This law is not saying that we can't do those in situations where a mother's life needs to be saved, which is what makes this law so common sense and, and you know, really consistent with, with good medical practice. That is so interesting. I remember years ago, uh, you know, I, I've been working in policy long enough to remember the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act, which was the earliest I think that was done was 21 weeks. And um, one of the, it was a lie, really, the reason that they said, oh, we need it, we need this very late term abortion and and late term abortions do occur was is because of, you know, fetal abnormality. And I remember Mm. people saying, you know, well, this is humane. And I'm like, how is it humane? There's nothing humane about stabbing a baby in the back of the head. And and I'm I'm sorry to be graphic, but that's literally what the procedure is and sucking its brains out. How can we know the baby already has a nervous system? So talk to me about when do we think that a baby can feel pain? It's a great question. And it's ever changing. And even just in the last couple of years, we found out a lot more than we knew before. So now the current evidence shows that, you know, I think there's pretty broad agreement that as early as about 10 to 12 weeks, babies can start feeling pain. There's some evidence that even earlier than that, even at seven to eight weeks, you can see evidence of of a a fetal human being withdrawing from a painful stimulus. Um, But the data that we have now pretty consistently shows agreement that at about 12 weeks, the, the neural pathways exist 
for a fetal human being to be able to feel pain. So basically we're talking before the end of the first trimester, these babies can feel pain. And as you just alluded to, abortion procedures in the second and the third trimester are typically destructive procedures, whether it be a partial birth abortion, which thankfully are now banned, or even um, a DNE, or a, people might have heard of that as a dismemberment abortion, where literally the baby is pulled out of the uterus in a piecemeal fashion while they're alive and while they can feel pain. This is not, even if someone is an abortion supporter, they should be opposed to these kinds of abortions because this is just barbaric and has no place in a civilized you know, society. Let's, let's pretend, you know, honestly, like I think if we would have this discussion and we didn't talk about babies, instead we substitute the word puppies. Right. I think people would be disgusted and aghast, right? Yeah. I mean, I think PETA would be marching, you know? And, Absolutely. And so Absolutely. somehow because we're so twisted up in, and it is an emotional, I don't mean to, to minimize because it is a very emotional issue, but these late term abortions, people know <laughs> there's right. no way. I, I mean, I had two, I have two beautiful children. I gave birth two different times and I was just talking to somebody, I, I said, you know, because we were talking about the Texas heartbeat bill, which is a whole mm -hmm. nother case um, and, and really a different like sort of legal framework. But people, one of the things people said, well, you know, it's six to eight weeks and a woman doesn't even know she's pregnant yet. And I'm like, I, usually she does. Right. I mean, I, I how right. could you not know, like, you know, I'm sure right. there are these you know, rare cases that you don't, but pretty much if you don't know, you don't want to know because your body starts to tell you right away. I mean, right. isn't it, you, you see women all the time. Do you, when people come in for their first pregnancy test and mo most everyone's taking one at home first or whatever, mm -hmm. when they see you, I mean, haven't they known within a couple, I mean, I think I knew both times by three weeks in, right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, most women do know very early, um, especially if they typically have regular periods. And, you know, most women do know very early either because they've missed a period or they've started to have pregnancy related symptoms. And so, yeah, so the argument that you can't, you know, for this case, for the Dobbs case, that you can't ban abortions after 15 weeks because what if someone doesn't know they're pregnant is a completely ludicrous ar argument. Women know that they're pregnant. And, you know, it's, and it's interesting to me and sad actually to hear the abortion industry and its allies in the medical profession even claim that they are about, you know, women having all of this information and having access to this because they really want to hide information from women. They absolutely. And it. yeah, and at APLOG, um, you know, like you said, I, I am chair of the board of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs and, and we actually want women to be empowered with information, which is why we try to talk to them about the fact that these abortions abortions that are done in the second and the third trimesters are actually very dangerous to them. Not only are they ending the life of their child, these abortions and being done on pain capable um, children, but they're also very damaging to them. They cause an increased risk of preterm birth and increased risk of mental health disorders in the future. And women aren't being told that by the abortion industry. They're being told they need this to be successful somehow in their life, um, which you know, Which I as a woman, frankly, it is offensive to you as a woman. I mean, to me as a woman, offensive. that's offensive. It's offensive. So offensive. Putting yeah. the life of an unborn child against your future and success is a lie. Right. I mean, we, it's we, it's lie. not 1950, right? I right. mean, we, right. women are getting, we have more college degrees and it's not as if there's not resources available. And I, and God bless Texas 
Texas right. has uh, just appropriated over a hundred million dollars just for abortion alternatives. So yeah. we're going to have to, we're going to do a lot more of that. Like that we Absolutely. have to really flip and really think in terms of not that we aren't already and the pro-life movement has grown up a long way. And uh, you can, you can <clears throat> speak to that, but I think even we need to be even more intentional about making right. sure women have alternatives and that they know the truth. They know what their options are. They know you don't have to drop out of college. And right. we, there's women, you know, that'll help you. We have networks of women who care about you. I was reading a beautiful article in the Washington Post about evangelical women in Texas who, uh, a mm -hmm. woman who just driving down the road decided to do a maternity ranch. And mm -hmm. she wants a place for women to come and they can stay after they give birth to their children. They can start to get their life together. And then, you know, and so all of that is just really, is, it, uh, it is really important. But back to mm -hmm. what you were saying, I just really want to just strongly agree with you that I'm so offended by the idea, this false notion um, and this, you know, conflict that's set up all the time. It is, uh, it is a false notion that you cannot be successful and have a, a baby sooner than you expected. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, women need support. We know that actually a majority of women who go to have abortions state that they either felt coerced by someone, you know, either the father of the baby or a family member or something like that, or they felt like they had no other option because of lack of social support. To me, if we are about empowering women, why should we want them to make a decision that we know is going to alter the rest of their lives, that we know is going to cause significant harm to them, when all they need is a little bit of support? We should never support a woman being coerced into anything that she doesn't want to do. Um, and also, she just needs support. So why can't we offer that support? And and by and large, it is people in the pro-life movement that are offering that support to women. Yes. But I agree with you. You know, if we get a favorable ruling on this case, which I sincerely hope that we do, because it is shameful that um, the medical profession in this country, the mainstream medical organizations, and our country as a whole are endorsing this wholesale slaughter of innocent children and harming women and pulling a fleece over their eyes. It is shameful for our country and it is time that that ends. And I pray that it does. But if it does, I mean, you're right, exactly. We're gonna have to do exactly what Texas has done and we're gonna have to step up even more and let women know we are here to support you. You don't have to get rid of your children. You can be a mom and you can be successful in life. Yes, and so if, if, if the, the court rules and they won't come down actually with a ruling probably until the end of June, uh, this year, we won't know in the meantime, but uh, be praying everyone pray between and a lot of behind the scenes, the horse trading and the opinions start getting written kind of pretty early. So um, I would ask everybody that's listening, pray for our justices, pray for our country, pray for the unborn. This is why we've marched, right? And then what happens if we win, and I pray, I pray we do, it gets thrown back to the individual states. And so, you know, states like New York and California are going to be really heavy lifts, but listen, I welcome that. And I'm sure you do too, Dr. Francis, to go in yeah. and like bring people to our side. We haven't been able to even have the conversation because right. Roe cut off in 1973, cut off our ability to have that debate. Right. And so that's what we'll be doing um, if post Roe and some states are more ready than others to to make limits, but um, but I again, I'm so excited to actually have that conversation. Um, I wanted to talk to you because you you're with such a great association. It's so important to have 
a, a pro-life OBGYN. When I um, discovered I was pregnant, we took that first pregnancy test uh, for my daughter, Claire, who's now just got married about a month ago. She works on Hill and, um, and just is just an amazing woman. I'm so grateful for her. I was surprised. My husband and I got married one February and I had a baby the next February. <laughs> than I, expected. I was a grown woman. I'm not comparing my experience to, you know, a scared teenager, but it was jarring. <laughs> Let sure. me just say. And so I, uh, I knew to call a, a local doctor because she was pro-life and I made sure that, and ended up, she didn't take my insurance. So, which, you know, that's important. We got to make sure that people have the ability to have the resources to have good uh, medical care. But one thing I did was when I started trying to figure out who my OBGYN was, I called around and I said, do you perform or refer for abortion? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. I did not want to be in the practice of someone with a doctor who in one room is delivering my baby and in the next room is suggesting and counseling a woman for abortion. And I just think that what you're doing and having an organization that women like us, women, our members who are pro-life and want to support other pro-life doctors and can refer people to you because it mm -hmm. matters. I have story after story of friends and, and members who were told their baby was, you know, uh, not compatible with life or was going to have, you know, this, that, or the other horror story that the, you know, that the doctor was sure was real and then it ended up not being true right and, right, um, right, and in one right. case a friend was referred for an abortion and she was she decided not to do it and there was no fetal abnormality because mm -hmm. doctors are still fallible right and and right, god is right. in heaven regardless but even if she had she was willing to love and take care of that child so yeah. i just wanted to say a word and 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 have you talk about the importance of having a pro-life OBGYN. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that opportunity, because I agree, you know, a lot of women do want to see an OBGYN that they know, even if they receive an adverse prenatal diagnosis, even if it is legitimately, there's something going on with their baby, they want to know that that doctor is going to do everything in her power to save both of their lives, to maximize the health of both of them, and not just simply discard the life of their child because they're seen as defective or something like that. You know, and unfortunately, this kind of pro-abortion narrative of abortion being healthcare and being good for women, it hasn't just invaded our culture in general, it's invaded the medical culture as well. And so we see the major medical organizations like the American College of OBGYNs or ACOG just being all out, no holds barred abortion access supporters. And, you know, of course, abortion isn't healthcare, and we want to be there for our patients and help our patients to know when you come to see us, we are going to care for you and your child to the best of our abilities and try to maximize the chances of a healthy delivery. And so that is very important. And we, I think it's so important that APLOG exists because so many physicians, especially in states like you mentioned, New York and California and some of these, you know, very abortion heavy states, um, physicians feel very alone and they feel like they need to be quiet about their pro-life stance because they might face being fired or they might face, you know, academic censure or something like that. And so it's very important that APLOG exists so that we can be an expert second medical opinion to ACOG at the courts, which is what we're doing in the Dobbs case. We're, you know, we're representing the science of abortion being bad for women and saying this is not healthcare and as physicians, we don't support it. But it, we're also there for our patients so that our patients know, look, we are even going to the Supreme Court 
to fight for you and for your children. And um, yeah, so it's very important. I would welcome anyone who's looking for pro-life OBGYN can visit our website at aaplog.org or any medical professionals who might be listening. Um, we have lots of uh, other medical professionals, not just OBGYNs who are members of our organization. And so we would welcome anyone to join us as well so that they can feel supported as they practice pro-life medicine. Hey, give that website again, because I think there's going to be a lot of people when they hear this, they're like, yeah, I got to see if my doctor, or maybe I need a new doctor. So what, what was the website again? Yes, absolutely. It is aaplog.org. Okay. It's the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. And I will just agree with you that ACOG is a leftist organization throughout my mm -hmm. entire career, no matter what the abortion bill was, they're in favor of it. And so right. I literally didn't go to a doctor once because I found out she was a member of ACOG. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. it's really important. It makes a difference and you are telling the truth. And so I am incredibly grateful. Um, how can our members be praying for you, um, Dr. Francis? Thank you for asking that. We would love to have your prayers. I would ask for prayers tomorrow. I'll be with you out in front of the Supreme Court. Right. We'll um, look for each yeah. other. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, speaking the truth. And, and I would just ask for prayers for our members. They really are, especially those that are practicing in sort of hostile environments, they really are on the front lines and they're working so hard every day to try and defend their patients in a, a culture of death that has just pervaded the medical profession. And so I just ask for prayers and also ask anyone who's listening, if you go to see a physician who you know is pro-life, just encourage them. Please just encourage them. Thank them for that um, and encourage them to stay strong in their position in defense of life. Amen. Well, uh, we are grateful for our pro-life doctors and uh, we're grateful for you. And um, I would again encourage people to go to your website, sign up, find a doctor, go to a doctor who's a member, encourage your pro-life doctor to join and uh, we'll, I'll see you out there tomorrow with 20,000 of our closest friends. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you'll probably be the one in the white coat. That's right. That's you. right. God bless you, um, Dr. You. Francis. We thank you so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, bringing you biblical perspective to today's most pressing issues. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. We pray this episode has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.